Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy word. The great need of our soul is to hear and listen to and believe, trust his word. We're studying through the gospel of Mark, and so this morning, primarily, we will be in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Just two verses, but so significant for our lives. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we believe it's significant that when the word of God becomes flesh and dwells among us and enters into Galilee and begins to preach what his first words are, we're asking today for the Holy Spirit to help us, Father, understand his message. Would you grant us grace, Almighty Father, to listen well to these words of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. We may be seated, if you're in Mark 1, you might also want to be finding the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, because I think Luke will picture for us what it is that Jesus talks about. I mentioned this in the prayer because I've been thinking about it a lot. Do you think, now, of, of course, we would say everything Jesus says is significant, amen? But do you think there might be, um, it might be worthwhile for us to consider what is it the, that's the first thing that he says? And then if we think about what the first thing is that he says, and then begin to walk through so much of what the New Testament says, I want to highlight something that is extremely important in the Bible, but doesn't always feel like it gets a lot of play in the culture, if that makes sense. So I'm going to put on the screen a sequence of verses, and we're just going to take in some scripture, Amen. So I want you to see the message of John the Baptist. It's not going to take you long to, to kind of key in on um, a theme, as it were. So here's the message of John the Baptist. Remember, we started in verse 14 when John was arrested. But before John was arrested, in Mark 1, 4, it says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And let's keep going together. First words of Jesus' ministry. We're in Mark 1, but if you also go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's just keep going together. The message of the apostles when they're sent out, when Jesus, we'll get here in, a, in, a, in just a little while in Mark 6, they went out and proclaimed that people should what? Help me out. Repent. Let's keep going. How about Peter, the apostles, preaching ministry? Acts chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's not just what Peter preached, it's also what Peter wrote. Let's look at this. In, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then it's not just Peter, it's also Paul. Look at Paul's ministry, Acts chapter 20. He says, I did not shrink back from declaring from you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's hold that moment for that, that slide for just a moment. Look what Paul says. I did not shrink from declaring from you what was profitable. What's implied in Paul saying that? Paul's implication is that a lot of people shrink back from declaring this message. We'll talk about why that's true a little bit more in a moment. But again, like Peter, it's not just Paul's preaching ministry, it's also what he wrote. Look here in Romans chapter 2. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? A few more just for your consideration, the last word to the churches. We're not going to look at all of these scriptures in turn, but in Revelation, the last message to the churches in Ephesus and other places were, was what? Was the great need of repentance. And then I think I've got one more, and it's the greatest source of joy in heaven. Luke 15, we'll spend some more time here in just a minute. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So taking all that into consideration, and, and truthfully, that's just a very brief overview. The preaching ministry of John the Baptist, the preaching ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the preaching and writing of Peter, the preaching and writing of Paul, the last word to the churches in Revelation, and the greatest source of joy in heaven, all focus on this matter of repentance. If you're tracking with me, say, we got it, or amen, or whatever it is. Would you agree with me that as far as the Bible goes, this issue of repentance is of great significance? Well, what we're going to do this morning is just to set out, if repentance is so significant, we want to set out and just understand what is repentance? Well, now we're going to try to answer that question, but for a moment, I would like you, in your own mind, if you were to have to give a definition of repentance, how would you do that? Now, before we go a little bit further, I want you to think about what else John the Baptist and Jesus and Peter and Paul have in common in addition to the consistency of their message on the necessity of repentance. What else is true of all of them? They're all killed. All of them were. And that gives a little bit of understanding to Paul's phrase, I, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you what's profitable. So what we want to say here on the front end is that no message in heaven is as urgent on earth as the necessity of repentance while simultaneously on earth no message is as rigidly, forcefully, 
and persistently resisted as the call for repentance. So in Luke chapter 15, we're going to get a picture of repentance. This is my favorite picture of repentance in all the Bible. I was thinking uh, this week as I was preparing this message, it's, it's Luke 15, it's going to be the story of a father who's got two lost sons. And this is just a great story. It's a universal story. Uh, for example, when I was uh, in India, we took a trip to Mumbai, India, a city, are y'all ready for this, of 26 million people. There's nowhere in India that you don't walk like this because people are just everywhere. But I had a translator and me another uh, uh, fellow pastor went out to, uh, the only way I can describe it is we left the city and we went out to the middle of nowhere. And I just started to kind of really stay close to the translator. You know, wherever he was going, I was going because I wouldn't know how to get my way back. And, and we're going into this village and this is no exaggeration. I'm going into this path, middle of nowhere, this dirt road, and, I, and I'm just kind of talking to the translator, and I look up, and I don't want to wig anybody out, but there was a snake, and I am not exaggerating, that started to cross our path, and it kept going, and that snake, I'm not exaggerating. Have I said that enough? That was as long as this front pew, and it just kept going and going and going, and, uh, and then kept going. I felt like I was in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. So, 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 so that snake gets out of the way, and we keep going into this village, and then we meet these two men. Y'all, and we don't talk their language, but I am compelled of the Lord to proclaim the gospel wherever the Lord might give opportunity to go. And so we begin to talk, and I start to think, how is it that I can communicate to them God's heart for them? Different background, different language, and, and then I begin to share this story that we're about to share. And, and it's a universal story. They understood the implications. They understood the stakes, as it were. It's Luke chapter 15, the story of a man who's got two sons. And one of these boys, the younger son, is going to picture for us what repentance looks like. Well, Luke chapter 15, I think it's helpful to read verse 1, which says, Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So that's, that's what you need to know is going on. This is the particular audience. Now, thankfully, this morning, I don't see anybody in this audience grumbling. But when Jesus was up there teaching, there are a bunch of people who had their arms kind of folded, and I can't believe this guy. He, he eats with sinners and receives them. Friends, what other hope do we have on planet Earth? then God would draw near and eat with us. You need to know this about your Savior. He will draw near. There isn't any person or category of persons or anything along those lines that he's not willing to draw near to. But these Pharisees and scribes and their haughty religiosity, they're grumbling and saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So then Jesus tells a sequence of stories. We're going to focus on the third one that he says. Suffice for you to know, a, a man has two sons. One of these sons is going to represent the sinners and tax collectors. The other son's going to represent those grumblers. So it says in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. He divided his 
property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. He couldn't wait to get out. I hear young people say this sometimes. I can't wait to get out of Rocky Mountain. I can't wait. Life's really going to begin for me when I can get out of this place. Well, that's this mentality that this guy had. And he squanders his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. This is how bad it got for him. He was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Now here is where we begin to see repentance. It's verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The original language literally is kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned. Against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his hand or put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. You know what the opposite of celebrating is? Grumbling, right? You see it? For this son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Well, everybody's thrilled except one person in particular, the grumbling older brother. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing, he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, pleaded with him, but he answered, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Begs the question, what friends, right? But when this son of yours came and has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and was and is alive, was lost, and is found. Now, without exaggeration, everybody in the room is in this story. Amen? You just got to find yourself. Where are you in relation to what Jesus says in this parable? You got two, two boys, one repents, and one doesn't. So let's look at the younger brother in particular. We want to focus on him. We might say a few things about the older brother and his disposition a little bit later on. But, but let's start with this. A picture of repentance begins with knowing life is to be lived with God, not apart from Him. Fundamental truth 
is this, that everybody either chooses to live a life with God or apart from Him. Which one are you born naturally disposed to do? To live apart from Him. Now this is the tragedy of this young boy, and this is why we can all relate to this, right? Is that he gets it in his mind that his life really would be better off far away from his father. That's why he goes to the far country. But then, as the saying goes, sin will always take you further than you plan to go, keep you longer than you plan to stay, cost you more than you plan to pay, right? And we get this, that, that kind of thinking right here from uh, this, this parable. I want to pause here because it's likely in this room this morning that somebody, that's where you would find yourself in this parable. So, man, my life would just be better if I'd be done with all of this, right? Just be done. Just go somewhere else. Just go far away. But do you want a... Um, irrevocable sort of principle of life. When you forsake the Father's authority, you forfeit the Father's provision and protection. Now, here's the tragedy. Here's the tragedy. Unfortunately, sometimes what can happen, this this is why it matters so much if you identify as a follower of Jesus, how you represent him. Because unfortunately, in the world, a lot of people associate Christianity a lot more with the older brother's disposition than with the father's heart, right? I mean, can we agree this, that that happens a lot in life? I mean, you're just raised to think that, that, that uh, the Bible is all about a bunch of rules and regulations and a bunch of do's and don'ts. Well, this boy, he goes far away, and, and then he squanders everything. Now, this is a sad story in our day, but in that day, when Jesus was originally telling it, what this boy did was the most insulting thing imaginable. And no doubt the Pharisees and the scribes believed that the story's projection or trajectory was going to be that the father was going to give the young boy his comeuppance. But repentance begins first with acknowledging that life is to be found with God, not away from him. So when Jesus comes in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. What he's saying is he's calling them to be those that live life with God, not apart from him. He came to himself. There in verse number 17. That's a, that's a phrase that, that means that he begins to think clearly. Did you know that sin and temptation can create a fog in your mind and you stop thinking clearly? Anybody ever been there? Then you look back in your life and you say, man, I don't know what I was thinking. Ten out of ten times when someone says that, the truth of the matter is they weren't thinking. Stop thinking. And, and when he begins to think clearly, notice who it is that he thinks about first. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. very first person he begins to think about it is, is his father. That very same father that he could not get, wait to get away from, that very same father he had so deeply insulted, that very same father whose inheritance he had liquidated and squandered. And he immediately begins to think about how his father provides he uses the word perish. That's the very same word in John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish. Now here's when you know in life 
that God has done a great work and is bringing you to repentance. When you begin to say, I cannot keep going like this. I cannot keep going like this. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs? The way of the transgressor is hard. It's difficult. What has he forsaken? He's forsaken provision, protection, life, peace. It's a tragically oft-repeated story, isn't it? Often in our own lives. But the, but the first, first is truth of repentance is this. This is where it begins. This is where the work of restoration begins. It begins with how you think about God. You no longer find him burdensome. You no longer find him restrictive. He's actually glorious. Amen? You begin to recognize the good things that he offers, the necessary things. Friends, apart from the Lord, there is only famine. It's only famine. Now, I think what we would do well and be faithful to Jesus' teaching here was returning to the Father this young man's initial plan. So true to life, isn't it? His initial plan was, well, he messed up. What's his first plan? So there's going to be something that I'll do to fix it. It's just like Adam and Eve in the garden when they blew it. Initially, they sewed fig leaves together, right? And, and this is so true to our lives. We just think there's something, okay, I messed up, but I'll make it right. Well, repentance is for those who realize we can't make it better. So first, he realizes that I've got to go back, that life is to be lived with my father. And second, and this is so important and I think so very misunderstood in our generation. Second truth of repentance is he understands he cannot stay in the far country. Some people think repentance means admitting you did something wrong and then getting permission to stay in the far country. It's not true. Do you know there's one verse in the Bible that keeps me up at night sometimes? It's Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking about the end of the age, and he says, um, On that day, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will look at them and say, Depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. That's a sober verse, isn't it? You know what Jesus just said? Jesus just said there are a lot of people. On that day, many will come to me. There are a lot of people who have every expectation that they're going to heaven. But it will be revealed that they're not. Can we just take that in for a moment? There's no scare tactic. This is the scripture. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. They even use the right terminology. And when I stay up some nights, I think that this is, this is one of those reasons why something like that could happen. A misunderstanding of repentance. Some people think repentance is kind of sending a letter to the Father saying, I messed up, will you send me some provision so I can stay in the far country? Some people want to be saved from the consequences of sin and not from sin. The gospel is much better news than that. The gospel doesn't say that, that Jesus will uh, alter some of the fruit of your sin. He'll cut down to the very root. And here, here's, the simplest, here's the simplest way I know to ask you. 
Do you love him? Do you love Jesus? I mean, heaven is being with him. Amen? When he comes and says the time was fulfilled, I'm, what, what is it that God is, why, why is Jesus come to begin with? He is seeking a way to restore and reconcile a relationship that we would be with him. There's some people who, who um, might get sidetracked in their understanding of these things. He says, I will arise and go. Now this is very, 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 very important. Repentance is not getting God to get you back on your feet patting you on the head as he sends you back out to the far country to squander it all over again. Does God love you the way you are? Glory to God, amen, hallelujah, yes he does. But he also loves you enough to change you, amen? His kingdom is not of the far country. This is from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. What is the church? The church, literally, Greek word, ekklesia, the called out ones. One way you can think about it is we've been called out of the far country. When Abraham is called, what does he say? Arise and go. When the exodus occurs, what do they have to do? Arise from the land of slavery and go to the promised land. Now, uh, he says, I will arise and go, specifically, I will go to my father. Go to my Father. So friends, if you've squandered many days in the far country called bitterness, or the far country of lust, or the far country of pornography, or the far country of adultery, or the far country of lying, or the far country of materialism, or self-centered living, repentance is not simply saying, yeah, I did that. Repentance is also, by God's grace and through His power, leaving those things behind in order to gain something so much better. That's a good definition of repentance, is turning from sin and turning to the Savior. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Glory to God, hallelujah. Another implication that we have here about the truth of repentance is those who repent come to the point where they recognize that they are responsible for the condition that they're in. Have you noticed this? Sin is always quick to put the blame on somebody else. I, I won't say who, but recently I was talking to somebody and they were re, uh, informing me what ha had happened in their athletic competition and it was just a series of, we didn't win because, 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 because. And, and sort of the blame got on everybody except teller of the story, right? You notice this about Adam? We talk about this sometimes uh, as a church family. When, uh, when God confronts Adam, what have you done? What's his first words? The woman that you gave me. Sin always pins it on someone else. It's my parents' fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's my children's fault. It's the devil's fault. Sin always blames somebody else. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the devil. Cain said, I'm not my brother's keeper. We want to rationalize and justify our sin. Look at this young man. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, look at these three words, I have 
sinned. He doesn't blame his father. He doesn't blame the circumstances of the famine. He doesn't blame his brother. He makes himself accountable. He takes on the responsibility himself. Friends, if you have the grace to receive it, you might go through all of life holding others responsible, but there will come a moment when we stand before the Lord. And in that moment, all the blame shifting is over. Fourth, and this will be our last one, truth about repentance. Repentance is going to the Father in humility. One way you might think of this is that those who go to the Father in humility are never humiliated. Isn't that good news? Because that, was, that, that would have been the um, expectation. In fact, when I was in India sharing this story with those two, two men through the translator, got to this part of the story where the young boy's going to go home and just ask them, what do you think should happen when the young son returns home? And so they talked a little bit to, with each other, and, they talked, and the translator came back. They said the young son should be punished, right? And that's the expectation. He's insulted his father. He's squandered the property. But as he's coming back in humility, and you remember, his expectation is not to be restored to his father's house as a son. It's to be, best case scenario in his mind, is I can go back there and work there and be a servant. It says in verse 20, he arose, came to his father. I know, I know this, this, is, this is the tragedy. We just know this passage so well that sometimes it loses its effect. But while he was still a long way off, anybody here this morning and you just saw yourself in a story I mean, you hear physically. I'm talking spiritually. You'd say, that's me. I am a long way off. I want you to see your God on display. His father saw him. It doesn't feel anger, rage, animosity. No, no doubt that's what the Pharisees and scribes, if they were teaching, would have said. But Jesus says, Felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This story begins with the father being humiliated. Young son who comes and asks for his inheritance is essentially saying, I don't want to wait here for you to die. Can you just go on and give me the inheritance and I won't have to wait around? So, so it begins with the father being humiliated. And, and then the father in this story, he does things that the typical man in that day would never have done. And that day, the father, a father in a situation like this would never have gone to the son. I mean, they were living in days where everybody knows everybody. And this boy had comes to the village, and everybody in the village would have known what he had done. And when he had gotten there, if they got any rotten fruit laying around, they would have thrown it at him, hurled insults at him, spit at him, make him grovel, uh, very likely stay out there all day. And, and maybe your father will come talk to you when he feels like it. And really what we see is a father wants to be the first one there. 
to prevent all of that from happening. See, his father saw him, and then it says he ran to him. Now, in those days, uh, men would wear that long robe, and uh, it, was, it was sort of thought running is a child's thing to do, right? When you get older and you're dignified, men don't run. And um, in order to run, he'd have to kind of hike his robe up a little bit, right? That's another thing men didn't do. They never share their, uh, show their legs in public, right? But he does all these things. Now, can we begin to track together Jesus, the Son of God, has come to earth and has been baptized, though he had no sin. He, he has grown up in Nazareth, this nowhere place. He's going to be crucified on a cross. Are you seeing that this is the heart of compassion that God has given you in Christ Jesus? And the terms of the kingdom, the terms of the kingdom are what we're talking about, repentance. There's no other way into the kingdom other than repentance. Why? Because repentance alone, repentance alone is the posture that is appropriate for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Repentance is for the kingdom because the repentance is those who say, we don't want to live in the far country anymore. I think I would uh, be remiss if I didn't tell you the younger son went far away. The older brother stayed right there. But do you see? You see the older brother's in his own far country even though he never geographically left anywhere, right? Another way of thinking about this is Adrian Rogers always said, there's none so bad they cannot be saved, none so good they need not be saved. So older brother, so older brother has this posture that he doesn't really need his father's grace and mercy. But what we see here is the father pleads and takes the initiative with both of them. The only way into the kingdom of God is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance is a turning from sin and a turning to Christ. Now, does repentance mean that you stop sinning altogether? Well, you might think of it this way. Everybody got a heartbeat? Please let me know if you don't. Feel it beating? It's beating right now, isn't it? But there came a time where it beat for the first time. Does that make sense? One of those knit you together in your mother's womb kind of things, right? Before you had a personality, before you had a... God, as he knit you together, and there began a little beating of a heart, right? Is repentance a one-time thing or an ongoing thing? Well, it's like your heartbeat. It starts when you come to faith in Christ. But as we'll see in the weeks to come, you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is the heartbeat of the Christian life. Meaning this... There comes a time in my life where I say, my life is to be with the Father. But does there ever come a day when I don't believe that? When I don't continue in that way? This, the far country can kind of pull back, and then we get so foolish in our thinking, and all of a sudden that famine didn't seem so bad, right? Well, we want to go back, but the heartbeat of repentance sustains with how it began. Meaning, I want to be with the Father. I want to be with the Father. I'm going to live a life of humility will forsake all others, forsake all others in order that I might gain Christ. We'll end this morning with two rather simple definitions of repentance. Repentance, or to use this one, is a turning from sin and a turning to Christ. 
There was a day that I did that for the first time, but then there is a way that I do that every day. Amen? In the morning, here comes the voice of sin and temptation. And again, keep that heartbeat. I've got to turn from sin and turn to Christ. A second definition that we'll end with is repentance is a changing of the mind that leads to a change in behavior. Repentance is a changing of the mind that leads to a changing in behavior. Just conclude with this observation. Christianity is not behavior modification. Christianity is belief modification that leads to a change in behavior. That's exactly where the Pharisees and scribes got it wrong. He sits over here eating with these sinners and tax collectors. Doesn't he know what they do? So friends, if you've ever received that the gospel, repent and believe the gospel. It's what Jesus' message is, right? So he's saying, you see who I am? A God of compassion. A God of steadfast love. Life is not to be found away from me. It's what Adam and Eve aspired to in the garden. We'll create life and reality for ourselves. You cannot find life apart from the author of life. You ever repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's stand together. We'll pray together. Enter a time of invitation. And I want to lead you as we bow our heads to pray. Invitation in a way that we've already referred to this morning. Can you find yourself in the in the story? Maybe you are like the young brother is at the beginning of the story, and the vo- uh, the call of the far country is resounding in your heart, and you are infatuated and thinking life would be so much better far away. Or maybe maybe for you you are. In the famine. And there is a famine of life and joy and peace in your life. And you're trying to fix it. And you're with the pigs. Give you encouragement. The Father is a Father of compassion. Might be some here today that your heart's really like the older brothers. You grumble a lot, complain a lot, look down on other people a lot. Not yet realizing that the Father of compassion is right there. And everything he has, he's willing to share with you. Father, this morning we've been able to open up your word and see very clearly from the preaching ministry of John the Baptist, the preaching ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, from the preaching and writing of the Apostle Peter, the preaching and writing of the Apostle Paul, the last call of the churches in Revelation when the 12 apostles themselves were sent out to proclaim. And the greatest joy, source of joy in heaven is when sinners repent. When those who are seeking life apart from you stop. By your grace, they can think clearly. Say, what am I doing here? How abundant is the provision of my Father. God, by your grace and by the leading of your spirit, would you lead many this morning to arise and go in humility, but with confidence that we have a father who longs for the return of his children. 
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.